0: Welcome back to Music Therapy and Beyond, a podcast focused on education, wellness, and advocacy for the music therapy profession. If you are new to the podcast, you can find our previous episodes at musictherapyandbeyond.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Today is an incredibly special day. Not only is it our bonus episode for the month of May, but we also have our first guest here at Music Therapy and Beyond. On top of that, we have incredible news to go along with it that we're gonna save until the end of the episode. And we're gonna jump right in and meet our guest. Elizabeth Shane has been a practicing board-certified music therapist for over 13 years. She received her bachelor's degree in music therapy from Drury University and her master's at the University of Kansas. Elizabeth has experienced working with many populations and is a fantastic mama to two beautiful littles. Elizabeth, welcome to Music Therapy and Beyond. Thank you. (laughs) Let's first start by having you tell our listeners a little about your journey to music therapy, and specifically to the topic of today's discussion on trauma stewardship.
1: Of course. I actually did not even know about music therapy until I had already earned my Associate of Arts in Music and Psychology. I took a year off from school because I didn't know what I wanted to do and stumbled onto the field through a basic Google search. I knew I wanted to be in a helping profession by that point, so I'm grateful I found out about it in time to pursue my bachelor's degree with you, Kristen, at Drury. I completed my internship at a veteran's hospital in Topeka, Kansas, and was fortunate enough to facilitate groups and individual sessions with veterans living with post-traumatic stress disorder. I quickly learned the importance of trauma-informed care and continued to pursue continuing education on that topic throughout my career. I've worked in every type of psychiatric unit you can imagine, and I've observed both positive and toxic work cultures. When I was first introduced to trauma stewardship, it instantly resonated with me and was
0: a profoundly helpful lens through which to view my work. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is a journey, and although our clinical paths were very different Mm -hmm. following our graduation, somehow we both ended up on the same (laughs) podcast talking about trauma stewardship. Yes. how life works out today we are going to do just that and dig into trauma stewardship this term was founded by Laura van Lipsky the founder and director of the trauma stewardship Institute and author of the book trauma stewardship an everyday guide to caring for self while caring for others friendly reminder here that we'll have all the links and resources in the show notes as well as like a brief uh, rundown of all the information we chatted about today Laura has worked directly with trauma survivors for more than 3 decades. This is a fascinating topic and one that aligns well with our previous podcasts on trauma-informed care. We encourage listeners to go back and listen to those previous episodes to provide you a substantial basis for this discussion. Those episodes are 169 and 12, but I have to be honest that a lot of the podcasts we have talk around the topic of trauma-informed care, and especially our wellness segments. I'm going to hand it over now to Elizabeth to introduce the topic of trauma stewardship and walk us through our learning objectives for today. Thanks, Kristen. So, why are we
1: talking about trauma stewardship specifically? We're going to talk about that today because, as a helping profession, we need to reflect more deeply about how our work impacts our own mental health. We also need to define stewardship because this is a special word. We want to explain its origins and why I think this is such a perfect term for managing our own mental health. I'm also going to define a bunch of other terms and focus on trauma stewardship and what that really means. And
0: finally, we're gonna lay out three steps to practice trauma stewardship in our daily lives. Thank you so much for providing us that introduction and the outline for our discussion today. It is going to be an important and meaty discussion, friends, and I am excited. Let's go ahead and start at the beginning because, of course, that's a wonderful place to start, by defining trauma stewardship. And would you please walk us through why it's vital to consider this as our efforts towards trauma-informed care and really all care that we give to others as therapists and teachers and parents and all the hats that we wear where we care for others. We have people all over the world in many different roles listening.
1: Yes, of course. So I think that we should start simply with the word stewardship, because I don't know that this word is super familiar for everyone. So we're going to start super basic here and talk about how Merriam-Webster's dictionary actually defines this term. And it is listed as the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. I really wanna emphasize that last part, something entrusted to one's care. This term goes back to the middle ages and referred to someone who managed an entire household or attractive land. More recently, it's often used in religious and spiritual circles to teach patrons and followers the value of taking care of one's body, the earth, and or one's finances as a way to bring glory to God or a higher power and act out their faith. I really think this term is interesting because when it comes to being in a helping profession, I really consider it a privilege to hold space for other people. And when you think of it this way, as someone else's trauma, someone else's feelings, being entrusted to your care in that moment, I think it just really helps you to take it seriously and to really try to be present as opposed to considering it an obligation or something that you need to tolerate, especially when you are starting to feel sort of burnt out. So I think the word stewardship is really special and important and it's one of the reasons I really like this particular lens for trauma-informed care. So diving in a little bit deeper, what is trauma stewardship specifically? That is being fully present with others in their pain, trauma, and suffering without taking it on as our own. It is a long-term approach to tending to our own wholeness, so we can be helpful to others in our full integrity. That's a lot to take in, but something to really think about and listen to one or two times, especially that last part, helpful to others in our full integrity. Trauma is both personal and subjective, much the same way that pain is. What is traumatic for one person may not be for someone else. It's shaped by each person's life experiences in childhood and beyond. The idea of trauma stewardship is that we take the time to deeply reflect on our own life experiences, as well as our current environment, both personal and work, to identify where we may not be taking care of ourselves or others effectively because of the trauma we are bearing witness to. We cannot be fully present with others in their pain and suffering if we are not taking care of ourselves. Remember, we have to put on our own oxygen mask first.
0: I absolutely love that.
1: I do too. I kinda wanna read it two or three more times, but we probably don't have time for that. So I do hope (laughs) you'll listen back to that part once or twice because it's really a lot to think about. And if you get a chance to buy this book and read it, I think you're gonna get a lot from just understanding what trauma stewardship is in a nutshell. It's just a slightly different way of looking at it. So what happens if we're not practicing this, if we are starting to burn out, if we're starting to struggle in the work that we're doing? According to Laura, what happens is a trauma exposure response. And this is the transformation that takes place within us as a result of exposure to the suffering of other living beings on the planet. This exposure may be deliberate or inadvertent, and this response is individualized and often causes us to look at the world differently. Laura lists 16 different warning signs of the trauma exposure response. This is just how idiosyncratic this response can be. We can't possibly unpack them all here, but I would like to point out a few to aid in your self-reflection journey. One is a feeling of sense of doom or hopelessness. So sometimes, as helpers, we feel like we just can't do any good, and it doesn't matter what we do, it's never going to get better, or the problem is too big, and this is a really common feeling. And this is more of a pervasive feeling, like it's there all the time, no matter what you do, even Mm -hmm. when you had a really good day or a really good session. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing you might experience is decreased creativity and or a need for increased structure. So as a music therapist, creativity is pretty important for us and being able to play and create new things and make music with others is usually what brings us joy and reward in our profession. But if we find it really hard to make new music or if we don't want to play music outside of work and we just want to shut it down, that could be a sign that we're starting to struggle. Or if we're not naturally a highly structured person and suddenly we want to have all these routines and rituals. And that's sort of a protective mechanism that we're creating for Mm. ourselves because we're getting overstimulated by the amount of trauma we're witnessing.
0: Yeah, we're kind of putting up our armor. Mm -hmm. I just keep going back sometimes when we are, when I'm reading through some of this, that about Brene Brown. And she always, Mm -hmm. when we're talking about vulnerability, always putting up your armor. And that just reminded me of that as Mm -hmm. well. And
1: really, your brain is wired to protect you. Mm -hmm. So it has these natural responses that are often subconscious and you don't even realize it's happening. And it's because there's, it senses danger or overstimulation or overwhelm, and it's trying to help you to avoid that. So it's a natural Mm -hmm. response, but when it's happening on a daily basis and you're experiencing vicarious trauma on a daily basis, then it gets to be too much and it gets to be unhealthy. Yep. Yep. Another one to think about is chronic exhaustion or a new onset of physical ailments, maybe lower back pain or insomnia, Um, your body really does hold everything and responds to everything. And a book that I think we're gonna reference later on is The Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. And it's a really excellent read about trauma and just understanding how our brains and our bodies remember everything that's happened to us and sometimes we can't even verbalize it, but our body feels it and remembers it. And so that's something else that we can really be looking out for. Another one is remaining in a state of hypervigilance or hyperarousal. And this could look very different for each person, but one example I can think of right now is if you're at the park with your kids and you look at every adult there as a stranger who might possibly abduct your child or your kid wants to climb up and shimmy down the fireman's pole and you're there every single time expecting them to fall and break their arm instead of just letting them play, then you're kind of in that state of hypervigilance and you're just constantly thinking that something bad is gonna happen and you're always looking behind your shoulder and that's obviously not a very healthy way to live your life. Um, It can be important to be vigilant if you are working in a place where safety is a concern, but we don't wanna Mm -hmm. live our entire lives in that state because the cortisol levels in our brain are gonna be through the roof on a daily basis and that's not healthy for us. And the last one I'm gonna mention for now is minimizing your own suffering. So comparing your suffering to the person that you're working with and saying, oh, it could be worse or it's not that Mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't had all these terrible things happen to me like that person, so I just need to suck it up and, and keep going. I think that's a pretty common one for Mm -hmm. a lot of people. Um, We're going to list all of them in the show notes because there are 16. It's a long list, but that's because it can look so different for every Mm -hmm. single person. And that's because of whatever we experience in our own background and childhood. My childhood trauma is going to look different from your childhood trauma. And maybe I wouldn't even classify it as trauma, but maybe you would. And so that's going to color all of those responses differently.
0: This is so fascinating. Like, it, I mean, I we obviously plan for our podcast, and I've read through this and, you know, have been in and around trauma-informed care for a while, but mm-hmm. it's still fascinating every time I look at it because I see something new every time we read it or even I hear you give examples or things like that. And mm-hmm. so I really loved the examples that you gave. And um, we will have all 16 listed in the show notes, but I've seen this firsthand, you know, not only in my own personal experience, um, but in my past employees as well, and it is incredibly difficult thing to watch, um, and and just come, I mean, a side note, feel completely helpless, you know, to impact as a leader um, at certain levels, but I never was taught any of this before mm-hmm. I kind of dove headfirst into trauma-informed care a couple years ago, and because I worked in schools, Mm -hmm. I worked in school systems with kids with special needs, you know, primarily. And it just wasn't something I was thinking about, you know, as it being something that was uh, impacting me or impacting our burnout as both myself or my employees. Mm -hmm. And so um, I really have leaned on education and learning. um, And I know you have too. So as we do that, can you kind of walk us through the different types and levels of trauma that we need to kind of be attentive to. Definitely.
1: Yeah, hopefully you go back and listen to all those previous episodes we talked about because it'll really help to clarify all of these if they're new terms for you. But there's a couple things to think about here. So the first is primary trauma, and that's when you yourself survive something that fundamentally changes your worldview. So maybe you were in a car accident or Maybe you lost a parent to cancer, maybe you survived a natural disaster, or maybe you're living with a chronic illness or a disability, or you're caring for someone in your family that has a chronic illness or disability. Mm -hmm. And then there's also vicarious trauma, which is exposure to someone else's trauma over time. And usually this isn't just a single exposure unless it's like a super huge event like a natural disaster, it's usually over time and a recurring exposure. Mm -hmm. It's also known as compassion fatigue, empathic strain, or secondary trauma. They all mean essentially the same thing, but you're bearing witness to someone else's trauma on a continuing basis. We can't go back to a time when you did not know about the hardship that you just witnessed. You can't unsee it, you can't unlearn it, and that's why it's so impactful. Um, We've stored that information away and sometimes we've actually absorbed it into our own body and brain in a way that we're feeling it as if it's our own experience. And especially for people in a helping profession, it's a natural thing to do because we want to empathize with people, we don't want to be robotic or cold, but then sometimes we can overdo it and really absorb it as if it's our own trauma. So how do we know when it's a problem? If you think of it this way if you've been doing any kind of helping work for any length of time you've probably had neck shoulder back tension maybe some muscle knots when they get unbearable you might seek chiropractic care or maybe get a massage vicarious trauma is much like a knot in your muscles we have all these trigger points in our body and that's where we hold our tension the first time we tweak a muscle we usually push through it not a big deal we can do a couple stretches and move on and get through the rest of our day but when we do this repeatedly rather than treating the problem early on we eventually become immobile and unable to do our jobs i know i've thrown out my back a couple of times because i ignored it for far too long oh, and, me too. and then it became a huge <laughs> problem and it took me a really long time to recover from that yes so it starts really small we don't think that it's a big deal we push it off And then we start to have little signs that it's too much down the road, and then it's a much bigger thing to manage. And so it's really important if it's possible to really start noticing it now and being mindful of where you hold things in your body. Like, Do you grind your teeth? Do you clench your fists? Do you pick at your nails? Do you twirl your hair? Like, There's a million different things that we all do to kind of get through a tense moment when we're feeling that way, so
0: just something to be aware of. I think this is so fascinating, and I love how you are relating it to our body because we did a couple episodes ago. We talked about the stress cycle Mm -hmm. and the burnout book through uh, by Emily and Amelia Nagoski, and I'm a huge fan of that book. I just am fascinated by the first three chapters especially. Um, But so much of that I resonate with, and I love how you're linking the body and the brain because obviously we're all linked, Mm -hmm. and that's so much about what trauma um, informed care is or being trauma sensitive is just realizing that it is so pervasive Mm -hmm. across your whole body and in both your professional and personal work and how it's so hard to even separate it because it it has to do with the you know the trauma and, and the exposure that you're having now but also the responses that an adverse childhood experiences you had yourself. It's just Mm -hmm. an incredibly complex situation and Mm -hmm. relationship, Um, you know, especially for those of us in a helping profession. Um, And even when we're in a helping profession, I'm just saying, I'm thinking like I, we saw this outside of what I would call true trauma, you know, clients. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go into the school system, I don't typically think that I'm going to be working with, and not initially I didn't. Yep. But um, but it is because of the prevalence of trauma that we've talked about in previous podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's so high. Um, you know, the exposure that we see is can be in really any setting, and so I think this is just foundational. I ju- foundational for all of the work that we have to do as music therapists and any teachers. And parents all of us
1: mm-hmm.
0: so as we take all of this in and it is it is a lot what are some of the factors that influence like the trajectory tra- trajectory of trauma in the caregiver or the therapist the teacher or the parents yeah
1: so really if we fail to notice and to take ownership of the responses that we're having when we witness someone else's trauma we will eventually become unable to do our jobs, to have healthy relationships. We just will be pretty ineffective overall. Mm-hmm. We may even suffer from our own mental health crisis because we're failing to manage ourselves and to check in with ourselves mm-hmm. and to take care of ourselves. Oh. Yep. So there are other factors that influence how we experience and witness trauma. And in the book, Laura refers to these as the three levels of trauma stewardship. So the first is personal dynamics, which is our own history of hardship or trauma. Mm -hmm. The second is organizational tendencies, so whether you're in a positive or a toxic work culture. And the third is systemic failures and societal forces. So things like social justice, ecological disasters, societal oppression, white supremacy, sexism, homophobia, economic injustice, ableism, ageism, lack of access to proper mental health care, all of these factors really affect our ability to manage our own mental health and they can even um, convince us that we don't need to access more services or more resources. I grew up in an environment where mental health was really not a priority, you weren't encouraged mm-hmm, to go too. to therapy or to talk about your feelings mm-hmm. really, yep. and so it wasn't until much later in life that that even became something that I did on a regular basis. And so. The first time I went to therapy was really terrifying because I had no idea what it was about. And so it took a long time to get through that and to figure out how to manage my own mental health. And then with organizational tendencies, I've worked in so many different types of environments. And it can make or break you if the Mm -hmm. work culture is not supportive of you taking care of yourself. If there's no allowance for going to therapy, getting a massage, taking time off, planning a vacation, if you're discouraged from using your PTO, right. then that can be really damaging because mm. then you feel guilty when you actually do use it and then right. you can't enjoy yourself. And you can't enjoy it, yeah. So it's really a terrible, um, a terrible mm-hmm. setup. And then when we talk about systemic failures and societal forces, we're trying to reduce oppression in society, but we often create these unsustainable work environments and we're over deploying everyone to take care of everyone else. And so it's just a big mess. And we feel like, how are we ever going to solve all of these problems because they're so big mm-hmm. and we're so tired and we've been carrying this load for so long. So there's a lot, a lot
0: to think about and a lot of factors that influence that. Oh my goodness. There are, there's just so much to unpack here. I just can't even, I just don't even know where to start. And, you know, I think what we need to do is do another episode mm-hmm. and let's do another episode on specifically that, on those like systemic failures are specifically the three things you've just kind of talked about, the personal dynamics, you know, our own history, organizational tendencies, and the work culture. That one, I am incredibly interested in digging in because I've been digging into it and learning a ton as a, as a leader of a business. Um, But we specifically probably need a whole episode just on systemic. Probably a whole, si- series. <laughs> a whole series. A yes. whole series. With lots of special guests, like yes, experts on all of these. Things. Experts on all of these, because we we have so much to learn on all of those systemic failures. But it is uh, just profound, and I'm so glad that you mentioned it here because it's it's important for us to begin to think about and um, consider, you know, in this kind of introductory. Uh, episode that we're doing on on stewardship here. So I want to thank you for walking us through that whole process and introducing us to that. And now that we kind of are aware of it and the effects that it has not only on our mental health, but our physical health as well, you know, the presence of it um, in our society and our systems, what can we do? because it seems I feel like we're very kind of low and there's like there's there's so much that's against us but what can we do I know you've got some good news for us so how can we practice trauma stewardship what are some ideas that we can take away
1: yes so there's a lot if you think about everything you need to do to sort of master this you're going to be completely overwhelmed because I'm not even close (laughs) I'm just at the very beginning of it and so I'm I like to think of it as practicing trauma stewardship and that this is a skill that you're sharpening as opposed to something that you're expected to just do Mm -hmm. all at once. Mm -hmm. And so the most important step is to check in with yourself, to take notice of where you're holding pain and suffering in your body and really just exploring everything about your whole life, not just your work life but your personal life, your relationships, um, the way you're parenting because sometimes your trauma can come out there, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. suddenly become a different parent than you thought was possible because you're so overwhelmed. So really exploring our own values, our purpose, our feelings, our past experiences, and all of the meaning that we continue to make of those experiences because that can also change over time. Um as we said earlier in the podcast, bearing witness to someone else's trauma can actually shift your entire worldview, the way that you look at the world, the way that you act on a daily basis, the way that you parent, way that you are with your partner or your spouse, and so you really have to take a hard look at yourself and decide whether or not that lines up with your values and the way that you want to live your life. Mm -hmm. And if something's off for you, then the next step is to seek support from others and to seek peer supervision from other clinicians and professionals who are doing similar work to yourself. If you're a parent, finding other parents who have kids with similar issues so that you can feel a little less alone and ask for advice without feeling judged. And if you are a professional, if your work environment is unhealthy, then you may need to really seriously reflect about whether or not you can continue in that environment long term. And that doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that you're terrible at your job. It may entirely be that environment that it's toxic for everyone or that it's just toxic for you and it's not set up for you to be successful. And it's really hard to To leave those situations, I remember leaving a job where I had two people that I was so close with. I loved working with them, but everything else about the environment was so oppressive for me that I just Mm -hmm. couldn't breathe, and I had Mm -hmm. to go. And it was a really difficult decision to come to, but it's what had to happen. Um, Right, And sometimes we have to make those hard choices in order to be healthy. Yep. And the next step, step three, is to create healthy boundaries and to practice self-care. And we hear this term self-care all the time, all and it time. starts to lose meaning after a while. It's the word, But yeah. it's really, really important. That's why we're all talking about it. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that I do that is I try to create a mental compartment for my work. So I try not to take it home with me mm-hmm. if I can help it. I think there's a difference between taking your work home with you and sharing about your day with whoever it is that's in your world at home, whether it's um, a husband or kids or a mom or a sister or a friend or a roommate. And so that's something you kind of have to learn and figure out for yourself. What does that look like to be able to sort of turn it off at some point? Mm -hmm. And part of that could be just creating a routine that helps you put it away every night. I know I had times where I would always listen to the same song at a specific time of the day, and that kind of cued my brain. It's time to start shutting down. Like It makes me think of that song, Closing Time. (laughs) But I feel like it's very true. that Yeah, like if you just listen to the same song every day at the same time, eventually your brain is going to entrain to that and have the Mm -hmm. same response if you really practice and make a habit out of it. And it doesn't have to be a song. It could be anything, but... Maybe it's putting on fuzzy socks when you walk in the door or making a cup of tea, but just find something you can do to right. help your brain recognize that work is over and now you're going to your home life. And just try to find any other little practical ways that you can to care for yourself throughout the day. Don't just assume that because you're working, you don't need to take care of yourself. You mm-hmm. need to eat a good lunch. You need to drink water. You need yeah. to do all yep. of those things. Absolutely. And if you've had a really difficult session or maybe an interaction with a coworker, then you need to take a break and do something Mm -hmm. to kind of get through the rest of the day. So even though it's only three steps, it's actually a lot of stuff. It is. Um, But the most important one is really just doing that self-reflection, really taking a hard look at the work you're doing and what your life looks like overall.
0: Yep. Well, I think those are three really profound Um, steps and I really love what you were mentioning about like that it's just a practice it's a journey and that speaks you know aligns really well with what we've been talking about as trauma informed care you really never attain oh I'm a trauma informed care therapist Mm -hmm. it's you become trauma sensitive like you Mm -hmm. just it's a constant journey and so it makes sense that as you continue to practice as a you know a teacher or even be you know as a therapist who whatever your role is but you are helping others um you know it's a it's a process and mm-hmm. as your kids grow your home life's going to change and you know the relationship that you have with your partner or your spouse that changes over mm-hmm. time and as you you know grow and learn and so this is it's always fluid it's always changing and so i think these three steps are pretty um they're specific but clear enough that they can and specific and clear but also um, flexible enough mm-hmm. that they can meet you no matter where you are. And I'm going to actually link some of the other podcasts that we've talked about because we did a transition podcast for our other podcast that we did in 2020. <laughs> that was kind of our 2020 experiment in the middle of the pandemic, the music therapy podcast. So I'll link that because I kind of dug into transitions and yeah. just things that you can do mm-hmm. with music um, and and other ways to care for yourself to help transition um, because so many of us now work from home or some of us always work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard. It's yeah. even harder because you're not getting in a car going home where mm-hmm. that might help be one of your routines and your transition. So um, there's lots and lots of things that we can unpack. And I think we should continue to unpack in, in this podcast because it's just ongoing and so important. Mm-hmm. So I am so thankful that you were here to share so much of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with those recommendations. I love them. I love what you have um, shared. And, you know, as we begin to kind of wrap up, do you have anything else that you'd like to add to this topic um, kind of before we, we kind of move on that you feel would be beneficial for the listeners? Yeah. One of the things that Laura says in her book
1: is that being present is a radical act. I'm going to read that one more time. Being present is a radical act. Being present in our world is difficult at best and really, really important. If we're not present with ourselves and if we're not noticing what's going on and if we're not noticing these warning signs, then we can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you don't know. Right. And so this is just a start. Noticing these warning signs doesn't mean that you're unfit for the work you chose. Mm-hmm. It just means that you're human and that you're actively connecting with your clients, students, and patients, or you wouldn't be experiencing these warning signs.
0: Right. So I, I'm just so glad that you shared that. And I think that there's so much to understand that, you know, I just, um, I guess this last week, we shared an image over on our Instagram account that just said, it's hard, keep going. Mm-hmm. And we specifically were speaking about how hard a journey it is to be, to have wellness and to mm-hmm. prioritize your own wellness. And I think that it's the same can be said for trauma stewardship. Mm-hmm. Like it is hard. It's a radical act to be present. Um, it's, it's hard work. And so you should be kind to yourself. Laura is mm-hmm. exactly right on that. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, so much for joining me today and for sharing your expertise and your heart and just your passion for this topic. I know this is going to reach far and wide, and I hope it does because it's incredibly important and we all need to hear it. No matter what level of health, mental health, wellness we are at in our journey towards trauma steward, practicing trauma stewardship, mm-hmm. I think we all can use the reminder. I know I certainly... Uh, loved to this episode. So as we come to a close, uh, I just want to remind everybody that we have some really incredible mm-hmm. news to share. Yes. Elizabeth, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners where you are at right now? Yes. And what you're up to. So I'm currently sitting in the
1: building that houses giving song uh-huh. in Columbia, Missouri which is very exciting because (laughs) I get to be the new music therapy supervisor and I get to work with Kristen. And I'm extremely excited because this is like a dream job for me and I've been looking for an opportunity like this for a long time. So I'm really excited to be back in the Midwest. I've been living in Washington State for nine years. So it's really special to be here, even though the humidity and the bugs, I'm still adjusting (laughs) to all of that. Oh, it's going to take a minute, but yes. really, it's beautiful here, and it's a lovely, lovely building that we get to practice in. I'm really excited about being here with other music therapists in person and to just mm-hmm. get to do some really cool
0: work with you. Well, you are exciting. We are excited. Our whole team is just, like, chomping at the bit for you to get started. We're counting down. That, yes. like so close. <laughs> 15 days. We're so excited. But she's exactly right. We're right here together. And um, we've been far away friends and colleagues for years. And we did overlap together during our time at Drury University. And after almost a year of phone calls, well, a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just almost a year of (laughs) phone calls, FaceTime meetings, and a lot, a lot of thought about numbers and talks about all of it. It's finally here. Mm -hmm. It's happening. I'm so excited. Yes, me I'm too. like, got the Chili Billies all over. <laughs> that's what my daughter would say. She's like, Mommy, I got the Chili Billies. <laughs> I'm like, me too, baby. I got them right now, so. <laughs> well, we are excited to share that news, so she's going to also not only be part of Giving Song, which is what our team, that's that's who we host, obviously, Music Therapy and Beyond Podcast, um, but she's going to also be on the podcast now more often yes. and not as a guest but as a member and so on our team so we're so excited you take the training wheels off yes <laughs> just it's so when you haven't done a podcast it's no, just you it's know, so you, weird you hear those podcasters <laughs> and they're like so professional I May mean, I listen to it and I'm like oh man I just hope I get there someday because I, so <laughs> I just still am so nervous every time I push play on garage band mm-hmm. well a friendly reminder to everyone listening that all the links and resi- resources can be found in our show notes at our website at music and and you can of course find us at instagram and facebook um, at music therapy and beyond as well Thank you so much for joining us today. We are incredibly grateful for Mm -hmm. your presence. We understand fully that time is our most precious commodity, and we are honored each and every time that you choose to use your time to listen with us and learn along with us. Mm -hmm. Until next time, friends, thank you for the work you do and all the places you do it. Bye for now.